I'm Dwayne Thompson, Senior Policy Analyst at FI360. Hello and welcome to Fiduciary Talk. Here with me today is Blaine Aiken, Executive Chairman at FI360. Welcome, Blaine. Thank you, Dwayne. It's good to be here as always. Same. Uh, today we're going to look at your recent Fiduciary Corner column in Investment News. You begin by stating that advisors and public officials have something in common. They're both fiduciaries. Fancy that. So let's start with a basic question. Fiduciaries under common law, as we all know, have broad duties of loyalty and care to their clients. To whom do public officials owe these duties? Well, in the broadest sense, I think public officials' fiduciary duties do arise from their delegated authority to protect constituents, and primarily from the potential harms of unethical conduct or negligence in the way that they're performing their duties. Uh, but, of course, fiduciary duty has been a hot topic uh, for the advisory industry in very recent years, with Congress authorizing the SEC under Dodd-Frank to expand the fiduciary duty for anyone who provides advice to retail uh, investors. And in the, in the same sense, the DOL is uh, following that approach with respect to retirement advice. But it, it, So it's kind of interesting that the duties of both public officials and advisors have intersected in this debate uh, over the fiduciary duty. So we now have public officials who are undertaking a fiduciary act when they decide how to proceed on fiduciary rulemaking for investment advisors. Now, even the decision by the Trump administration uh, seeking to delay the DOL's fiduciary rule by 60 days, you know, that decision should be based itself on fiduciary principles. Well, this is pretty interesting. Uh, of course, we usually, uh, when we look to the laws and the car courts and determining uh, the fiduciary duties, we think of professionals like doctors, lawyers, and financial advisors. So who determines when elected officials are fiduciaries? Well, yeah, it's, it's true that politicians rarely refer to themselves as fiduciaries, but you know, many legal scholars have identified fiduciary principles that are essentially inherent to systems of government. And this is especially true of the American system of government. So you can trace the fiduciary roots uh, of the uh, American system of government back to the writings of our founding fathers, and especially James Madison and uh, Alexander Hamilton. These are picked up in the Federalist Papers, for example. Uh, so you know, for those who are really interested in reading more about this kind of history, I would recommend a couple of particularly good uh, articles on the subject. Uh, the first is a Boston Law Review article uh, called The Fiduciary Laws, Lessons for Deliberative Democracy. And uh, that was by David Ponnet and Ethan Lieb. A second one is entitled Public Officials as Fiduciaries, and that one's by uh, Hannah Callaghan. So if you do take the time to read these through, and, and certainly if investment advisors are uh, looking at these articles, they'll pretty quickly uh, recognize that conceptually, elected officials have the same kinds of fiduciary duties uh, to the public as advisors do to their clients. So uh, it really is a matter of fiduciary principles holding across all of the professions uh, and even uh, with respect to elected officials. Well, I can imagine, Blaine, that some advisors might understandably uh, look to the next logical question about uh, uh, who, in fact, uh, are these clients uh, of, of the uh, elected officials. Given the polarized politics in Washington these days, 
to whom exactly do elected officials owe this duty of loyalty when their constituents are divided on key issues like the department's fiduciary rule? Well, that, that's it. I mean, that's a very challenging question for policymakers because the, the short answer to your question is uh, they're beholden to all of them, all of the constituents as a whole. Uh, but that's true of all fiduciaries. You know, they have to act on behalf of uh, anyone who is, is uh, relying upon them for their special skills and knowledge. Uh, they are obligated to make the best decisions they can uh, based on that uh, special uh, situation that they have where you know, they know more about the workings of government than most members of the public, and they have access to more information than most people have. And this is directly analogous to all professionals who uh, we have to rely upon for their special skills and knowledge and count on them to exercise those capabilities on our behalf. You know, it is, uh, it's, it's not like what we're facing today in the regulatory environment where we have specific, uh, a specific codified fiduciary rule uh, for those who are investment advisors under the DOL rule. And for public servants, we don't really have that. Um, if we're going to assess the performance uh, that they are uh, undertaking on our behalf, we really have to look at the fiduciary principles that are inherent uh, in political systems, and, and they've been enumerated by a number of legal scholars. So, you know, six, uh, I laid out six of them uh, based on those articles I mentioned uh, whenever I undertook this latest uh, edition of the Fiduciary Corner column in Investment News. The first, you know, the first two really are the obvious ones. They're the ones that we hear most about in the investment advisor realm. First being loyalty, uh, that's the obligation to place the public's best, in this case, and I'll speak of these uh, specific to the terms of elected officials, but when it comes to loyalty, the obligation is to place the public's best interest first and avoid conflicts of interest. Don't uh, uh, allow self-interest to conflict with the, the public's interest, and uh, don't benefit at the public's expense. With respect to care, the obligation is to be diligent in carrying out responsibilities, to carefully consider and evaluate material facts and alternatives, exercise prudent judgment, reach logical conclusions, and, and essentially tell, take uh, well-reasoned actions. You have an obligation to be impartial, to represent all constituents fairly, to act objectively, uh, and avoid targeting or favoring one constituency over another. Uh, there is an obligation to be accountable and provide opportunities for public input and a means for the public to monitor the decision-making process. And then acting in utmost good faith. And what that means is to be transparent, candid, and deliberative, uh, to truly engage in honest debate, to assess and monitor the public's preferences, and then to ultimately connect the policy initiatives directly to what it, uh, how it translates in terms of serving the good of the government. And then there's one that's a little bit more unique than with respect to uh, what investment advisors uh, confront, uh, but there is an analogy to be drawn from that as well. But the, this last one is to maintain public trust in government. So here again, the obligation is to serve the public good and to avoid improprietary I'm sorry, avoid uh, impropriety, <laughs> avoid impropriety, 
and uh, exercise good stewardship of public resources. Uh, also, there's this obligation, uh, particularly one of the authors mentioned, about acting with civility and respect towards colleagues and constituents. I say that there's an analogy here because I think that holds true with uh, respect to the obligation of practitioners to advance the profession and protect its reputation. So fairly lengthy answer, but uh, nevertheless, these are the types of things that we want to observe and see to the extent to which uh, the fiduciary is carrying them out. Well, that all makes sense in, in concept. Uh, would it be appropriate uh, along the analogies uh, that you've drawn, Blaine, to say that, for example, trust beneficiaries of different ages with different investment objectives and different investment time horizons who are uh, receiving income from the same portfolio, uh, for example? In other words, uh, in in that situation, maybe it's it's sort of like the elected official with with various constituencies, but in in the investors' world, the fiduciary advisor needs to address these differences by managing the assets in a way that at least partly addresses uh, the objectives of the beneficiaries. So is is that in a very rough way what we're talking about here? Where if you don't have a single client, but you have a number of trust beneficiaries, if you will, where you need to balance the objectives amongst all of them. Is is that the kind of fiduciary issue we're talking about with elected officials? Well, yeah, I do like that analogy um, because it does capture the idea that various people who rely upon a particular fiduciary may have competing interests. And as you say, for an investment fiduciary serving a retirement plan or a trust, it may mean balancing the interests of current and future beneficiaries, for example. And then the, uh, in, the, in the public policy sphere, uh, it may require balancing the interests of constituents in different types of occupations or different geographic locations or those who have different worldviews. So, yeah, the analogy, I think, is, uh, is appropriate. Now, in terms of the duty of care, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, being diligent in carrying out responsibilities to carefully evaluate material facts and alternatives and, uh, for example, in taking well-reasoned actions. Is all of this possible in the heated political climate that we're seeing today? Well, I would say that um, probably the, a, better, a good way to address this would be to compare to what happens in, with investment fiduciaries. Uh, you know, sometimes investment fiduciaries find themselves making difficult decisions in a time of a financial crisis. Uh, it requires them to act objectively and to look at the long-term goals of their client, even though their client may panic and ask them to do something that ultimately is imprudent. Uh, the same holds true for public officials. It's often difficult for them to ignore their constituents' short-term demands and sometimes they also don't look at the long-term effect of their governance decisions. But the important thing for the fiduciaries is to understand uh, is that they have these specific obligations and that they should always look back to those to thoughtfully perform those duties that I mentioned, you know, loyalty, care, impartiality, accountability, good faith, and maintaining the public trust. Now, these duties apply to all public policy decision-making. And given that the policy issue at hand is, uh, at the moment, is about extending the fiduciary standard to others, uh, this would be a particularly good time uh, and a particularly good case study of the fiduciary decision-making process of those uh, who we're counting on in the public sector. 
you know, one thing I would note, Dwayne, is uh, with respect to that last duty that I'd mentioned, that maintaining the public trust in government, we do have some tracking that's done by the Pew Research Center of uh, public trust in government. And the most recent statistics they offer really are sobering uh, and in some ways depressing. Uh, that most recent study found that at the end of 2015, only 19% of Americans today say that they uh, can trust the government in Washington to do what is right just about always. That was only 3%. Or most of the time, which was 16%. That is down from a high of about 80% achieved shortly after the end of the Kennedy administration. And if you look at the graph of how, of how this has happened, it's been in almost straight decline. There was a bounce during the Reagan administration, and there was a bounce during the Clinton administration. And you can pin a number of uh, things that were happening at the time that would uh, probably behind some of that. But uh, other than that, it has been a steep decline, uh, unfortunately, over multiple generations, uh, or I should say multiple administrations from uh, representing both parties. Yes, and, and, and Blaine, that's, that's uh, interesting and, and, as you say, sobering and in some ways uh, depressing statistic. I would add uh, that it, it, some, some of this is, can be selective in the sense that uh, where the public sometimes looks at institutions, they'll rate them a lot lower than, say, the congressman uh, or, or congressperson they, in, that they know and that they reelect at a higher rate. And I think that's sometimes the same case with financial advisors where Wall Street, for example, is given low marks, but yet they tend to, as we know from studies on fiduciaries and so forth, that they tend to trust uh, their financial advisors. So there's certainly a lot of quirks in all of this, but I, I think it does demonstrate uh, that maintaining public trust is more important these days than, than it's ever been. But what I wanted to go to now, Blaine, if you don't mind, is what I call the $64,000 question, and you've mentioned it in terms of the DOL's fiduciary rule. So to this point, uh, we've had an interesting uh, set of administrations. Uh, first, the Obama administration supporting a fiduciary duty, expanding the requirement for giving uh, investment advice. Uh, in retirement accounts, and then we've had a second administration come in, the Trump administration, that appears ready to sort of uh, can it, get rid of it. So both of the both of these administrations, uh, according to the requirement that they're or the concept that they're fiduciaries, uh, have a duty uh, to the public to do what's right. So if, for example, uh, who do you think is, is right or wrong, or in other words, has breached their duty to the public? If, on the one hand, uh, you have one administration strongly supporting an expansion of the definition of fiduciary, and another comes along and potentially rescinds it. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it is a really difficult question, but it's the same question that we have to uh, look at with respect to whether a an advisor has fulfilled or breached their fiduciary obligations. And it really comes down to uh, looking at the process that was applied and uh, how what's the evidence that these duties have been fulfilled. And I think this is where uh, each of us needs to thoughtfully look at 
the behavior of our elected officials and to uh, try to assess what the ultimate uh, performance has been because we're the ones who uh, bear the obligation and have the responsibility to holding our public officials accountable. Uh, we, uh, we vote. Uh, we should vote, and that's the mechanism that we have for enforcing fiduciary conduct. There are rules uh, of governance that do apply. There's the Government Ethics Office, which uh, comes into play. But really, in the public sphere, it is much more a matter of uh, an informed and uh, active public that needs to come into play. Well, I, I think when you, Blaine, when you uh, sort of step back and, and you look at, I guess, what how historians will, will so I'm going to stay away from partisan politics and everybody, but everything, but, uh, you know, historians, when they talk about the greatest presidents, Washington and Lincoln, uh, you know, I, I think when you look at what they did, they had a lot of selfless uh, uh uh, decisions that they made where they could have potentially benefited themselves. I mean, there were, uh, looking at George Washington, there were calls for him to to sort of be another monarch, or there were even suspicions about him in that respect. Uh, uh, he didn't, fortunately, have that self-interest. He had no children and so forth. But uh, he is still regarded, uh, along with Lincoln and, and a few others, as uh, some of the greatest of our presidents, and it seems when you look at what they've done, uh, they've certainly done it on behalf of the country and, and going along with those duties of loyalty and care and impartiality uh, with all the difficult constituencies that they had to wrestle with, and some, in some respects far more than what we even have today in terms of divided politics. Um, so I, I just throw that in. Yeah, and I, I certainly agree with you, Dwayne. And uh, you know, one of the articles in particular that was was focused on the deliberative side of this, and uh, and I think this is where uh, I found it particularly compelling: uh, the obligation to engage in the honest uh, debate and to be. Uh, you know, I think of Lincoln and his team of rivals, where uh, he had individuals who uh, he selected specifically so he would get varying points of view. And that's true not only with respect to deliberations within the government, but also deliberations between the government and the people. And this is where I think uh, mechanisms to hear from the public are important, and the obligation of the public to uh, conduct civil debate as well, uh, so that reasoned voices can be heard and weighed uh, by those who represent us. So. Uh, yeah, we have a lot at stake, but uh, fiduciary is the role that they play, and it's uh, one that we depend upon. Well, it'll certainly change my view when I uh, see the pundits and see some of the tweets and some of the, the fireworks that uh, we're seeing uh, every day these days, it seems. So, uh, Blaine, uh, thank you very much. This has been a, a great topic again, and I, I certainly hope that our elected officials serving what I would call functional fiduciaries, right? No pun intended, but uh, uh, even though they uh, they fit that bill without having the name as a fiduciary, that they do take their duties in that same spirit. So great topic and very timely. Thanks again uh, for sharing your insights. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Dwayne. Uh, you're welcome, and look forward to our next conversation.